we cannot do anything worthwhile in our own strength. All we can do is make ourselves available. And we thank you that you have called us and that we have the opportunity through Jesus Christ to be a part of your family in, in your kingdom and that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit. So Heavenly Father, as we open up your word this morning, we pray that you would speak, that you would comfort us, that you would challenge us. And in all of this, Heavenly Father, we desire that you would be given the glory. It's, it's not anything about what we may personally gain out of all of this. We just thank you for your goodness and your grace, and we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I, I mentioned, you should have that little handout with you, and I'm going to refer to that um, through uh, this, this time this morning. You, you are aware, being the 3rd of July, it's actually officially halfway through the year. Exactly halfway we've had. Half has, has gone, half has yet to come. So I think it's, it's apt that we spend a moment here in the middle of the year to reflect on what it is that God is doing through us. Can I also suggest too that it is now official. It is now official according to the census data of the 2021 census. Remember that 2021 census that we did through lockdown in, in COVID? Christianity is officially a minority. It's officially a minority. The official data from the ABS, now whether you're you know, willing to take any notice of it or not, officially we are in a minority. 43.9%, 43.9% of Australians identify as Christians. Now that's, to a certain extent, it's sobering data, is it not? Although I think for most people, it's probably not a, a surprise for about the last 50 or so years we've seen this slide. It's, it's now, it seems, that we've just hit this tipping point. And on the surface, this would appear to be bad news, wouldn't it? For so long, we've been known as being a Christian uh, country. And, and, but look, we've suspected for probably quite a long time that we no longer can label ourselves, you know, the Christian nation of Australia. Well, kind of depending on what measures you use, it is, it is now official. But like many difficult and challenging situations, it can always be gilded with a silver lining. What something like that could do, it could wake us up from our slumber, could it not? That we just expect just to, to go through life and things continue to be the way they always have. We no longer can just assume and enjoy what, well, it depends on what you think a Christian society should look like. But the other aspect of all of this, throughout history, for the last 2,000 years, Christianity has always seemed to excel when it operated from the margins. In other words, when it wasn't the majority or when it wasn't highly influencing politics or society in an organisational way, but doing it in a relational way. 
And some of the greatest growths that we have seen in the Christian movement has happened when it wasn't a Christian society, when it wasn't a Christian nation. Think the Roman Empire in the first few generations after Christ went back to heaven. Grew at its, its greatest rate and probably had one of the greatest influences ever. We're seeing this today in nations all around the world where Christianity is essentially outlawed or banned or suppressed, growing at an incredible rate. So even though on the surface it can seem we are no longer a Christian country, it gives us an opportunity to reflect on what it means to be Christ ones in the place where God has placed us. And one of the great opportunities in all of that is instead of dealing with people who've had these experiences, probably negative experiences of church, of dysfunctional church and the institutionalised church, and they've given up on it because it just didn't connect with them, we are now coming into a generation who have had no experience with Christianity, no experience with the church, and so to a certain extent they're a blank slate waiting to hear the gospel for the very first time. Now that's good news, but it means we're not just going to sit back and do what we've done for the last couple of generations, just wait for people to turn up here because they think they need to go to church to be a good person or to be a Christian or whatever. But it does create some enormous opportunities. Halfway here, we are through 2022. And we're revisiting what it means to be and make disciples. Now, what happened was, on the, uh, the 6th of February, we, we, we launched this. And for those of you who are here on, on that particular Sunday, you'd be aware that we talked about what's called an Engel scale. And if you open up and you have a look at the, uh, the, the, the layout here on the inside of your, of your, uh, of your handout there, you can see that uh, the Engel scale was developed as a way to understand that when we're making disciples, it doesn't always mean that we are crossing a person from being a non-Christian to being a Christian. Everybody comes to their walk of faith from a different step. And as you can see there on those steps, it could be step number one. Absolutely no awareness of God one little bit. Um, it could be some awareness of God. It could be that some people have... If you've grown up in a Christian home, for example, you're probably starting at step number three. Does that make sense? You've probably come to church as a, as, a, as a young person. You've had contact with Christians, quickly moved into point number four, and you've moved up and through those steps until somebody led you to Christ. And then you moved, as you can see there, step number 10 is becoming a Christian. Now, why I think this is so important, it's not the, the be-all and end-all, it's not the perfect system or anything like this, it's a framework that we can use to help us when we're connecting with people. For example, we've been talking about the food bank. People are coming into the food bank and, has, as Julie has mentioned, had some great conversations with people. And these people may be somewhere there. No, no awareness, some awareness, they're working out, trying to grasp the truth. Some, some of them have taken some of those um, trauma booklets. Some of them have taken Bibles. There's obviously a little bit of, you know, working out on point number five and six. And sometimes it will be that the opportunity we have to connect and build a relationship with someone is 
ideally moving them upwards through these steps. Does that make sense? And I must admit, this has been a breakthrough for me over so many years because so often I got disillusioned because I went out of my way and made an incredible sacrifice to connect with people and we, we got separated in that, in, that converse, in, that, in that relationship and I never saw that person come to Christ. And it can be quite disheartening if we don't see the investment we place in people bear the fruit of them coming to Christ. But in a number of those occasions, I've heard later on that they connected with another church or another Christian or whatever, and that person led them to Christ. Now, I remember thinking, "Mm, what's wrong with me? Why couldn't I do that? And I think by the grace of God, he works in each one of us And I think for every single one of us, we've got a role in encouraging those people we have influence in to move them along those steps. And in the same fashion, and many of you people who worship here regularly would know that, we've had some people who've turned up and they've become a Christian like in the first, second or third week or whatever that they've set foot inside this building. And to the same extent, I thought, how good is this? Um, But knowing that... There's been a whole lot of work with other people leading in their lives to lead them up to that point, ready to accept the implications of the gospel. And we just so happen to be the people that were able to lead them to faith in Christ. Does that make sense? We're all part of all of that. And along with this, and we can see this a lot with our growth groups and some of the others, the opportunities to lead forward from step number 10 on and upwards into maturity, into Christian leadership, and obviously into multiplication where we get to a point where the people we're leading are also leading other people into these steps. Now, my encouragement to you six months ago was, where are you on that step? It's idea, and to think about who are the people who led you through those steps over those times and to celebrate that fact. Maybe even give them a call or send them a text or something and saying, just remember and thank you for the time you invested in me when I was navigating you know, this particular part of my life. But not only that, who are the people who you're connecting with on a regular basis, maybe intentionally to catch up with them, to share the gospel, or maybe just people who you work with, your next-door neighbour, you know, whatever. Where are they on that journey? And how might you be used by God to encourage them in a number of those more steps? So what I want to do with this in mind, take that away and reflect on it, I want us to think about what, that means. Bearing in mind that we used as the passage back six months ago, Matthew 28 verse 19, which says, and this was Jesus, the last statement that he made with his disciples as he ascended into heaven, he said these words, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, verse 19. Yet to a certain extent, whether we realise this or not, we're all disciples. We're all disciples. Now, I I read an interesting book recently. Mark Deaver is his name, and he wrote this book called Discipling, How to Help Others Follow Jesus. And he made this quote in the book. He said this, To be human 
is to be a disciple. God didn't present Adam and Eve with a choice between discipleship and independence, but between following him and following Satan. We are all disciples. The only question is, of whom? Who are we following? Whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, we're following someone, something. We're all disciples of that. And not only that, we all have disciples. I don't know whether you know this or not, but there are people who are watching you. There are people who you are influencing. Now, these could be other Christians. These could be uh, your children. These could be employees. These could be... Thank you. Um, These could be people who you just interact with day by day. And you're you're leading them by the life that you live. Are you you aware of that? So to a certain extent, you have disciples. Now, in what way are you leading them? So therefore, the question arises, what is discipling? What does it mean by discipling? Now, Mark Deaver in his book says, at its very core, discipleship is teaching. Now, if we talk about teaching, this could be formal teaching. So this is a a kind of formal teaching that we're doing this morning. Um, You go into a growth group and you can have some formal teaching. We do our Alpha course, that is some formal teaching, formally understanding the implications of what it means to follow Christ. But there's also informal. And in any conversation... Think about this. Any conversation you have with anybody where an opinion is shared, when you're making suggestions or whatever, you are teaching. Paul, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 said this. Join together in following my example, says Paul, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. It it could sound a little bit arrogant, couldn't it? But I think it's just realistically to know that if we are living in community, if we are living in a society, if we are connecting with people on a day-to-day basis, there are people who are following us, are watching us, observing us. And he's saying to be be an example as people look to us. We are all models in how we live and how we exercise our faith, how we treat others. Modelling's one path. Paul also, in talking to a young, younger disciple that he was mentoring in 2 Timothy 2.2, say that quickly, 2 Timothy 2.2, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses in trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. So as you can see there, there is a formal teaching which we need as well, teaching others. Formally and informally. Every time we give an opinion, we teach. Every time we explain things, we teach. Every time we tell our story, we're essentially teaching. Now, remember, I told you the first part of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28, 20 says this, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission involves an aspect of teaching. Therefore, all discipling will involve some teaching, 
taping the time to tell others what we believe, why we believe. Now, quite often, that could be simply in the context of listening to people's stories and journeying with them and offering them an explanation or opinion when you're invited to do so. We've already heard about the opportunities we've had to listen to people's stories as they come into the food bank. And quite often, there are people who have have spent half an hour just telling their story and they go away and they're just so appreciative of the fact that we took the time to listen. And I've heard people say, thank you so much for the encouragement. And you go, well, I really didn't say anything. But sometimes that's not the point. It's just listening and showing people that you care. It's not just walking them around the car, but it's actually popping the bonnet and showing them the engine and then offering to take them for a drive. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's more than just a look and see. Now, Mark Deva in his book says the engine of discipleship is love. Of course, we know that passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Without love, we're what? We're just a whole lot of noise without love. We're called not just to do discipleship because we sense it's a sense of duty or that, you know, we've got to get some credit points with God. We do it because we're driven to love others. Now, here's the clincher. Love doesn't start with our love. You want to know, my love is not much. I can't love you all with my own type of love. I have to first be transformed by another love. You know what sort of love that is, don't you? That starts with God through Christ. Once we're transformed by his love and driven by his love and our response to his love, that's how we love other people. The more we fix our... Sorry to go back to the previous sermon series. When we fix our eyes on him, it will transform us where we can start to love others. We must draw from the original source, the well of living water. Now, Mark Deaver in his book, so this is not my idea, this is Mark Deaver. Mark Deaver offers five characteristics of love if we are going to love these people. We're going to love these people who come into our food bank. We're going to love our next door neighbours. We're going to love these people who, in which we work with. We have this love. What are the characteristics of, these, of this love? Firstly, love initiates a discipling relationship. Love initiates a discipling relationship. Think about it. Who has God led you to? Now, don't just sort of think of it as just a a coincidence or convenience or whatever, who you're working with, maybe your your neighbour or someone you you connect with for, for coffee. Why is it that God has connected you with these people? Ask this question. And I would even go as far as sort of saying, where are these people on this scale? Whereabouts are they? And what opportunities do I have to encourage them in a few more steps? Am I willing to initiate that relationship? I want to connect up with you weekly. Let's just maybe um, tell our stories to one another. Let's see if it can be an encouragement to one another. Maybe even we could read the Bible together. Think about that. Who has God led me to? And in loving obedience, how do I respond? And am I willing to initiate that time? This is the trick, isn't it? Leads to the second point. 
The second point is this, that love perseveres in a discipling relationship. Love perseveres. If we want to develop true fruit out of a relationship, it's not just going to be one that is just convenient. Will I keep giving even if I don't see immediate fruit? Even if they they tend to put up the wall a bit, will I continue to press in? Will I give up on this person if they fall back into patterns of sin or fall away or, or, or drop short or whatever? What about if this relationship becomes inconvenient? And this happens, and I must have convinced this, this so many times, our lives can get so busy. And we think, look, I'll just put off meeting up with this person. I haven't seen much fruit out of that, so I'll put off this person and I'll go and just attend to the busyness of my life. I want to tell you, in the grand scheme of things, think about it. Your life is, is, is but a speck. What at the end of your life would you prefer to look back on and celebrate? The fact that you earned X amount of money or you were able to keep the the house spick and span clean or the fact that you were able to lead somebody towards faith in Christ in a deliberate way. Which one do you think you would celebrate the most at the end of your life? We will continue to persevere, which leads to the third point. Love humbly receives criticism that often comes in a discipling relationship. So often we start this relationship, they have a different opinion to you, you can get offended, you can respond in a probably an inappropriate way. Sometimes we experience opposition or criticism and some, that, that can either strengthen us Strengthen us to go, how can I learn from this? Or it could destroy the relationship. When these challenges arise, how do you respond? You could respond with pride and go on the attack. Or you could come to humility and be willing to give and take. Be willing to apologise if needed and to acknowledge that criticism. Fourth point that Mark David talks about is love humbly gives itself in a discipling relationship. Any relationship requires sacrifice. I'm currently meeting uh, with a, uh, a, a guy that's shown uh, interest in exploring faith and he's had some very, very negative experiences of the past, uh, of churches in the past, and it's taken literally, well, months into years to break down that, that um, negative persona that he had of the church. It takes time. And most of the time, I'm just sitting and listening. And you know what? I know you might find this surprising, but a lot of the time when I'm listening to this guy tell his story, I'm thinking to myself, there are a lot of other things that I need to be doing this week. And this is taking up a lot of time. Now, I know you find shock to hear that your pastor would say those things, but those things cross my mind every now and then when I'm thinking, I'm such a busy guy, and I'm making, but I'm not going to tell this guy that I'm making sacrifices for him. But the temptation is that it's inconvenient. Or am I the only one in the room? And there's a time when you've got to go, this, this is of internal significance. I'm sitting and listening. And sometimes we need to have a big picture approach and go, I'm willing to make these sacrifices. Every time I meet with this guy, it, it's almost with, a, with a, a, bit, a bit of a catch-your-breath moment because I'm going, this, this could go for, for half an hour, could go for three hours, and I've just got to be prepared to be a good steward of my time in all of this, but prepared to make these sacrifices. 
I need to love humbly. Paul was willing to make sacrifices. And we read in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those are the words of Jesus relayed by the apostle Paul. And the last point that Diva makes is this. Love allows us to end discipling relationships. Now, that sounds a little odd. Number five, love allows us to end. Now, what does it mean by this? Now, think about this for a moment. And that's why I think it's, it's helpful in, in all of this. Think about your own journey, okay? Think about your own journey. There are some people in this church, and I remember after we released this in, in February, some said, look, I started at step number one. I had absolutely no idea. And God led me through various people up to, you know, step number five. And then I crossed paths with another person and they led me from point six up to nine. And then I ended up going to a church and I went forward at the church and I became a Christian. I made number 10 and then I went to another church. And they can, they can talk about four or five steps of people who they connected with, who God worked through to lead them through these various steps. Other people have grown up in the church and they started at, you know, let's say, point step number three or step number four and moved very quickly, for example. But I would almost guarantee that everybody in this room, as you look at your journey against that, you would see that there have been a number of people who have led you through the various steps. A number of people. Very early on, it could have been your parents, could have been a Sunday school teacher, could have been your pastor, could have been a close friend, it could have been someone. But most of the time, you'll find that there are various people who lead you through those various stages to faith. That's one of those God-given gifts, people who come and guide you through various times. Think about that. And so the key in all of this is it's not all about us. And this, this is the danger where you think, God's given me this person, my job is to get this person from step number two all the way up to step number 14 or whatever. That's my job because I'm an important person. But no, God may only want us to lead them three or four steps because they've got someone else in mind who's going to lead them the next journey and then someone else the next journey and someone else the next journey. And you know what? I've, I've worked out in my life, there's about five or six people who have had significant impact over my life that have led me through this step these stages and what's the blessing of that is that I haven't made these people idols they're not my savior they've pointed me to the savior and the danger is if you've got one person who leads you all the way you know what happens they become a de facto savior don't they because they have all of the answers they have all of the keys they're the ones that have done all of the work and the other problem in all of this is it's one person who led you all the way they tend to make you a disciple in their image in their image, because that's just human nature, isn't it? We tend to become a clone of them. And so by the grace of God, we have different people, which basically means that there'll be a time when you invest heavily in people, and then suddenly they're not here anymore. They've moved on either to another people, another church or whatever, and that can be quite deflating unless you're willing to see the bigger picture. I was part of the journey of this life, for the steps and then 
Isn't it great when you hear the story later on and they go, thank you, John, for what you did in my life and now I'm serving here or doing this or doing that. This is essentially discipleship. Let's make it more than just something we work out as we go along. Most times we engage someone who's already moving on the scale and our role is to move them a few more steps along the journey. Many times someone else takes over from us. As I said, think about your own life, who it was that influenced you, and I would say it would absolutely be more than one person. People around us influence, we influence others. This is essentially discipleship. We are still on this journey as we lead others on this journey. That's what it means to be and make disciples. You know, we're in a sea of seven billion people, seven billion people around us. We are not an island. Sometimes we feel like we're an island, but we're not. We're all connected. And there's this incredible joy in discipling people whether it's informally through connecting through food bank or over the fence with your next door neighbour or down at coffee or whatever, or whether it's within an alpha group or a growth group or whatever, where we're connecting with people and going on this journey together. Mark Deaver in his book made this quote. I think it's really powerful. He says, When you step out of the hallway of this life into the room of eternity... What will you have left behind in the lives of others? Will we leave behind a bright but fading image of ourselves, our gifts, our interests or our successes, or a bold and lasting image of Christ leading to eternal life? What do we want to leave behind in the lives of others? I'll say it again. When you step out of the hallway of this life into the room of eternity... What will you have left behind in the lives of others? Will we leave behind a bright but fading image of ourselves, our gifts, our interests or our successes or a bold and lasting image of Christ leading to eternal life? I want to tell, tell you right now that there would be nothing that would be more important, satisfying, motivating for me than for my life to leave an impression of Christ in the lives of others. Would anyone agree with me in that? And, and by the grace of God, we just want to be available and ready to, to walk with people through these steps and celebrate each step along the way. So we think the only thing we really celebrate is, you know, step number 10 because, yeah, and that's, that's really important. And isn't it great when we, you know, baptise people and we people make a confession of faith for the first time? But that's one step of so many that people are on this journey. Let's be ready and willing. Take this away with you. Jot down who you think God's leading you to and look for the opportunities prayerfully and through the power of God's Spirit to lead you in leading others along that journey. And yet the key in all of this, it's not by our strength, it's not by our might, it's not by our intellect, it's simply by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what I want to do now to, to pull this all together is we're going to share in communion together. 
And we're going to share in communion together. And we do this regularly, not just because we, we do it every fortnight, but simply as an opportunity to refocus. Yeah, as my life, as my life is given over to the Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer is that he would guide me and lead me into the relationships with other people that I can encourage. As I am so thankful for people who've connected with me and have helped me to become the disciple that I am growing into. So whether there are people who are discipling me or me discipling others in all of this, we simply do this by the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ. So here's an opportunity for us to pause to take a biscuit representing the body of Christ and juice representing the blood of Christ, which was broken and blood shed on the cross, which would make right for us that which is wrong, our separation from God. And we take, eat and drink together as a remembrance once again that we belong to him. And by participating in this symbolic feast, remember again and identify with his death, the shedding of his blood, to make right which was wrong, our relationship with Christ into his family. Now, it doesn't matter whether you uh, worship here regularly or you don't worship here regularly, you're welcome to join with us and participate in communion together. The only qualification is that you love Christ. If you love Christ, you come and join with us together. I'm going to pray and then I'll invite you to come out the front and we will uh, take these elements each, make our way back to our seat. We will eat the biscuit in our own time and then we will pause and we'll drink from the cup together. Is that okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of Jesus Christ who came, died, shed his blood as the sacrificial lamb that we might know forgiveness, we might know restoration and we might know you as our father. So we thank you for that precious gift that not only did Christ die but he rose again. We thank you that we can follow a dynamic living saviour and through the power of his spirit in us will equip us to be the people you've called us to be, being disciples and making disciples. So as we, as we eat and as we drink together, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would reinforce who we are in you, strengthen us, comfort us, and help us to keep our eyes fixed on you. For your glory and for your honour, we pray this in Jesus' name.